And welcome to the Down in Front podcast. Thanks for joining us, y'all. I'm going to be Mike the Shredder, your host for tonight. Warren is sick with pneumonia and or something that he contracted, the kissing disease from cows. So he's not going to be able to join (laughs) us tonight. Um, That first one's a lie. It's not not pneumonia. Um, Tonight, I'm joined by some very special guests. Uh, let's go around the table and uh, introduce yourselves and uh, what have you been watching and what have you been drinking. Uh, Abbott, why don't you lead us off? Sure, yeah. I'm actually, uh, just like the movie we're going to discuss tonight, I'm keeping it PG. So I'm drinking a little bit of water and a little bit of blueberry lemonade. Um, keeping it safe for the kitties tonight. Uh, and as far as what I've been watching, uh, over on the Fear Boners uh, Twitter, we were actually um, approached by a couple of independent filmmakers to check out their movies. So I watched... Uh, Horror Hotel and Rideshare. Both of them are free up on Amazon right now. They're both pretty fun. They're horror movies. Uh, one is about a uh, sadistic serial killer who drives essentially an Uber, and it's kind of told from his perspective and his like messed up internal monologuing, and he just kills everybody. Um, so it's it's weird. It stars a bunch of like semi-famous YouTubers, so that's kind of awkward. Um, but you know, it's fun. Uh, and then uh, the Horror Hotel. Um, one is more of an anthology. It starts off a little goofy and then gets kind of grim and dark. So I was really into that one. Um, and yeah, if you have Amazon prime, uh, look, look for them and uh, check them out. So I have to ask you this on the first movie you were talking about, the Uber driver one after the they're dead, does Logan Paul come out and make a video of them? (laughs) That definitely would have, um, made the, the movie a lot more interesting. (laughs) It would have upped the stakes infinity. (laughs) I was going to ask if Rideshare was just the autobiography of the uh, cash cab guy. Oh, I wish. Dude, I'd that, watch that 10 times. That dude is hilarious. If, if y'all on the, uh, for the Derek Sellings and Ryan Dowds out there haven't checked out, what is it, like Ben something? Ben Carson? Uh, no, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, we should probably know this if we're about, if about to plug him. But uh, check Ben Bailey. Check him out. He is utterly hilarious he does this deadpan comedy bit that i don't think is really in style anymore but it's amazing if you were growing up in 2009 <laughs> all right so i think uh, you heard his his sweet sweet sexy voice uh but i'm gonna pass it off to the mouth from the south bryland hey how's it going this evening uh what i'm drinking tonight is i have arizona iced tea second best flavor the southern style sweet tea like i was telling warren the other night it's not like uh what your mama makes but it's close enough because it's 99 cents prices on the can uh and what i've been watching recently is i've been checking out marvel's new tv show cloak and dagger i've watched the first three uh episodes and i am pretty digging it even though it's kind of slow paced it's definitely an origin story where it's like uh Tandy and Tyrone trying to figure out their powers. Uh, but um, 
there's a lot of things here that I like, but there's a lot of things here that I kind of wish that it was part of the Netflix family because these are some of the streetwise uh, Marvel heroes that you have because um, it's on Freeform, which is kind of ABC's CW channel. And so everybody seems overly pretty and uh, there's a lot of music geared towards younger audiences and stuff. Uh, but they do some weird things where they base it in New Orleans, but no one speaks with a Cajun accent or speaks Creole, which throws me off a bit. And um, and there's just uh, those CW-esque moments. But one thing that I respect about the, mo- uh, the uh, show is it is very, very dark. So it actually stays pretty true to these characters. And is there anywhere we can find that online? Is it just like ABC streaming or uh yeah freeform they have like their own website you can watch it to stream on or hulu you can watch it there cool all right cool yeah I was, I was gonna check it out i'm super behind on my marvel tv cool thanks browland um definitely gonna have to check that out uh so i'm mike the shredder uh i'll be hosting tonight um as for what i've been watching uh i have been watching hereditary finally caught that flick in the metro uh plex uh, I have not listened to the Fear Boners uh, episode yet, as I saw it only a uh, night or two ago, um, but I'm excited to, to listen to it and hear what everyone thought. I have my own thoughts. It was freaking awesome. Um, scared the hell out of me in not a jump scare way, which I really can't stand jump scares. Uh, I know they're effective, but for me, they're cheap, and this movie really played off that well. Um, as for the other thing, uh, I'm getting a little bit hairy, as you could tell in our video teaser, and pretty much every like six months uh, for the last, well, it's only happened once, but uh, basically Queer Eye comes on, and then I feel good about myself, and I shave and buy a couple new pieces of clothes, uh, clothing, so <laughs> I, I bought new shorts because my, my butt was feeling a little bit fat, you know, this this afternoon, and so I was like, ah, I'm going to get some stuff that actually fits me, and so the, the beard's probably going to go next because I've been watching this with Queer Eye, and, you know, the, fab, the new Fab Five, man, they got me feeling good about myself, um, and make, it made me feel good about my potential, too. Uh, maybe I can host this podcast that's my potential as for what i'm drinking um i got myself something i've never seen before it's a shipyard monkey fist ipa has no oh, yeah yeah i've never drank it it's it's a solid ipa i'm definitely digging it right now um yeah ipas are in vogue and i'm glad shipyard threw their hat in the ring all right well so we're stumped uh, uh? stumped <laughs> Uh, we're, we're dumped. You mean stoked? Uh, we're lumped. Frumped? Lovely lady lumps? (laughs) Oh, we're pumped. We're pumped. That's what Warren always says. Silly me, part-time host. Um, yeah, we're, we're, (laughs) we're, we're absolutely pumped. Um, we're going to give you a spoiler-free review after the break. Uh, so you're going to hear the pretty iPhone ringtone. Um, and then beware, because we're going to go all in on this thing. Um, please, please check out this movie. It's Pixar. They release like one film a year. Um, and they need all your money because they're all poor and starving. Because I hear that they're an indie <laughs> arts film. Um, but yeah, we're going to see you uh, across the break. Uh, bye-bye.
face isn't anywhere near you. <laughs> and welcome back to the Down in Front podcast. Uh, welcome back. Uh, in this section, we're going to definitely spoil the whole movie. So again, please go see the movie first, uh, Incredibles 2. Um, so Pixar, in according to tradition, uh, they give us a little digital short before the movie to kind of introduce maybe some themes, unless you're Frozen and Coco and completely unrelated. Um, but uh, this film, we got Bow. Um, which was significantly shorter than Frozen 2.5, and very wonderful. Uh, I guess let's, first of all, Abbott, do they play it in front of your showing, just to make sure? Yes, yeah. All right, wonderful, cool. Um, I guess then, to switch it up then, Brylon, give me your thoughts on Bow. Uh, when it comes to Bell, uh, Disney and Pixar, they've been making these phenomenal shorts that lead into their movies, uh, whether they're totally unrelated to the film or not. Uh, some of them I remember like Paperman and, uh, the talking toy box that kind of teaches the bully how to be uh, a good kid. Uh, but Bell is no exception. It is phenomenal short film, uh, artistry at its finest. Uh, the animation's fantastic, especially when you see uh, the elderly mom actually shaping the bow and cooking with it. It looked, I mean, the texture and just the detail they have on that is amazing. And it actually tells a very heartfelt story about uh, when the kid leaves the nest or just caring for that kid, how what parents have to deal with in their emotions when that happens. And I was definitely given all sorts of dimensions of feelings while. Uh, watching this like from it's funny it's sad it's also very horrific and bizarre at the same time uh when she when the bow uh kid kind of grows up and gets a little stubble on his face and uh she eats him one time which is uh very scary and she realizes what she did and she freaks out but you find out you actually meet her actual kid who brings a girl home and it's kind of just a metaphor for like hey i'm becoming my own person and this is going to be my life especially with uh i'm bringing in this girl that i met that i really love and she comes from a different culture than the culture that we're part of. Uh, but I want you to learn to love her and stuff. And the mom doesn't want that to happen. She wants her baby. She wants her child. And it's beautiful because at the end, they do learn to accept it. And I loved every moment of it. I definitely want to get like a collection of all these short films because I think it's some of the best work that Disney and Pixar are doing right now. I can definitely agree with you on some of those points, but I'd love to hear from Andrew Abbott first. Sure, yeah. No, I um, definitely echo a lot of Bryland's feelings. Um, going into it, I was really kind of hoping it was just going to be a cute little thing about like a, an Asian grandma and her little dumpling baby. Um, but as a man who enjoys dumplings, I would probably not have made a dumpling baby. I would have just eaten it. Um, but I've also made dumplings from scratch. And yeah, I, I agree. Like the animation of like the delicate maneuver of how they actually form the dumplings and like knead the dough and seal them like was really amazing uh the fact that they go back to that a few times and like every time his head kind of gets deformed she like reforms him and kind of picks him up but then when you realize it's sort of a a metaphor for um like the like the smothering mother when you realize there's a little bit more to it and get 
it started to get really heavy. And I kind of got that feeling where I realized like where it was going and what was happening and where the emotion was coming from. And I did tear up a little bit when I realized it was sort of this whole thing about a son kind of moving on and like to a degree taking taking his parents for granted a little bit. Like it was a little it was a little tough um, there. But the scene that got me in particular was when they sort of rebond when the the actual son sort of shows up back at home and they're eating the buns on bed and they're both just sort of crying and reconnecting and eating the buns like that scene was just beautiful. So it's sort of amazing to see what they can do in such a short for a short film, what they can fit in in such a short amount of time and how affecting it can be. Um, I really wasn't ready to be in that sort of mindset going in Incredibles, but so I, I'd say it was like very successful. Yeah, I think the the metaphor itself was super ham fisted, meaning it like was over the top. Like, hey, this is a metaphor. Yeah, we're porking those buns. Yeah, yeah. For you know, this is this is a metaphor for a child growing up and someone experiencing that. And but it worked. Like weirdly enough, you know, a lot of the time you get these things that are so in your face and like what how obvious it is, and it it doesn't. But it, it, I think it did. I, and I think it, it mostly because it worked on multiple levels. I think uh, Small Child, um, you know, that a movie like The Incredibles is technically, you know, geared towards, uh, would see this as a cutesy little film. They probably wander off in attention at the end of it, you know, and, and just see it like all oh, the little funny dough man, uh, you know, poke his tummy and goes, hee hee. Um, but I think that it really structured through the generations. Like for myself, you know, that would have been. I guess six or seven years ago, that weird, eh, maybe a little less, but like, you know, you come home from college and you think you're your own person. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that like you have that, that grand reconnection with your parents, you know, when you kind of like get through the college phase and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, they're not bad. You, know, you, you put a, a death knell on your teenage rebellion and you're just kind of like, all right, well, I'm part of the system and they're pretty cool. They taught me a whole bunch of stuff. Well, at least this was my experience. I don't know. I don't know how y'all were. Um, but but, you know, you have that reconnecting moment. And while there wasn't necessarily tears shed uh, for me, I definitely felt a little bit more connected uh, in that mid-20s range on, like, who my folks were as a person and the kind of lessons they had to share. Um, and then on the, the on the, the even the older side is, like, the folks that have, you know, had kids and are going through or have gone through that process can kind of look at that, a film like this and reflect back on how they were as human beings guiding children through every stage of life. And so I think that's why it's super effective. It's it's an obvious metaphor, but it works on a multitude of levels. Um, also, as a clo- closing thought on this, I, I, my audience was dumb. Uh, as, soon as, she, it's, as soon as she ate the, the pork bun, um, or the bow, I guess is, is what it's, no, they were eating pork buns. Sorry. I love pork buns. And that's all I'm thinking about. Um, they're so good. I even ate the wrapper. Um, <laughs> the, um, the, so when she ate him, everyone was like going nuts, but not in like a <gasps> kind of way, like, a, a like an idiot way. They're just dumb. And then when the kid came back, it seemed like no one understood that. They're like, what? Oh, my God. What? But, like, what's? where's the thing? That's so messed up. It's like, no, no, no. We're, we're talking about a, a metaphor here. This is a, a metaphor. This is, this is what this means. And it seemed like no one in the audience understood what was going on. She uh, ate her baby. Yeah, yeah. I think it was an ate my baby. I, except it was like, it must have been a New Hampshire crowd. Because, I don't know. 
I don't even I'll have to say thing. if uh if Disney doesn't make plush bow babies, they're gonna miss out on about two billion dollars. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I want a plush bow baby. Disney will absolutely <laughs> make a plush bow baby. Cool. So uh I guess speaking of appetizers and food, uh let's move on to our main course, uh Incredibles 2. So I think what we should do is we should break it up into a little bit of uh, uh some sections. Um, first, I, I want to cover the characters. Uh, we saw them 14 years ago, and let's, I guess, talk about their development till now, uh, plus all the new exciting uh, characters that we got introduced to this time. And then I guess we're going to follow it up with uh, kind of how we felt on the, the plot of it and maybe the overall like themes and, and theories presented by the, the film, because there, there was numerous. Um, let's start about the characters. Uh, Mr. Abbott, why don't you, you uh, get going? Yeah, uh, it was it was cool to kind of see everybody back in the saddle. Um, but for me, uh, as I said, like I watched it, the original um, the night before I went to go see it today. And I would highly recommend that for most people because the movie itself actually sort of picks up right as where the first one ends. So it's interesting to see kind of the characters 14 years ago kind of frozen in time and then reactivate on screen and sort of go about doing their thing. Um, but throughout the movie, we're still introduced to a colorful cast. Everybody's favorites are still there. We do get to revisit Edna Mode. She's incredible, as always. Um, That's the uh, director. Even, yeah. Yeah, yep. which is incredible. <laughs> no, that voice, the voice he does is amazing. Um, and uh, what's the, the agent? We find out Dicker. Dicker, he, get, he has like kind of a bigger role, and he's, he's really funny because he's just like sort of the... Um, the Danny Glover role, he's just like, I'm getting too old for this shit the whole time. And he's still trying to help them. They uh, they switched um, the, the voice actor out uh, this this time through, which I thought was perfect casting, was uh, Jonathan Banks of oh, really? Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Unfortunately, I, I forget his name, but he, the voice actor was in poor health and, and passed away before this oh, film bummer. could be uh, released. So they, they had to swap the voice actor out. Uh, couldn't have picked a better better person, though, for that old, disgruntled, just like, ugh, person. <laughs> yeah, and he was one of the... It's it's kind of funny going back to, like, the, the graphical touches, like him and, like, Mr. Incredible. You see the lines in their face, like, as they're getting older. Like, you see more of that in this movie, which is kind of cool, too. Um, but, yeah, throughout the movie, you're kind of introduced to a bunch of new uh, new characters, which are great, you know, because there are more heroes that we do get to see in action, which was kind of fun in, in the original movie, because it's it's sort of you don't really get an idea for what year it is, but it's this weird, like pseudo futuristic 50s, 60s kind of vibe. And so you see that everywhere, people walking around the street. The other thing graphically is that you see more people and characters in frame. It's almost like when you play a really graphically intensive game and there's like a million NPCs wandering around. There's a few scenes in the movie where like the crowds are huge so you can sort of see what's going on even though there's chaos like they're whether they're um fighting the underminer in the beginning of the movie or there's like the runaway train scene like all this stuff there's all these people sort of milling about and they're all kind of their own little person and the design is really uh, well thought out. Um but for me like Jack Jack kind of stole the show. Like he has some really great moments. Um so, yeah, definitely if you if you enjoyed the Jack-Jack attack short film, you'll get a lot of that in this movie. So, yeah, character character is a big part of the movie, definitely. Yeah, um, correct me if I'm wrong. So we do see Jack-Jack's powers at the end of The Incredibles, but none of the family sees them, do, it, do, do they? Just the babysitter, yeah. Just the babysitter. Okay, I yeah. just wanted to make sure because I wasn't 
sure while watching this, like, wait a minute, didn't they already know Jack Jack has powers? No, well, because then, like, they get the they get the weird they get like a million voicemails from the from the babysitter, but she doesn't tell. She's like, something weird's going on. Something strange is happening. Oh, great! You sent the backup, and then like Syndrome is there. She thinks he's like the backup babysitter, and then that's where like the house explodes and stuff. I got gotcha. So they never actually see him like do anything crazy. Cool, cool. Ryland. Yeah. Um. So. I would say probably like besides Jack Jack, the other character that stood out really well for me was Mr. Incredible himself. Uh, I think he really had a great job of being the the dad this time around and just being uh, the hero of being of a dad. And he has a great dad bod to go along with it. It was great to see like his five o'clock shadow just gradually come in at all times. And that even though he's tired as hell, he's still doing all these things for his kids and he hasn't slept in three days which is amazing and i thought it was really cool to see him like uh he didn't understand how they were doing math in dash's class so he read the whole book and then showed him how to do it and woke him up early for school and said let's get your homework done so you, you know how to do this and it was cool to see him do this uh dad commitment thing uh while uh elastigirl was out saving the world um i felt that Violet and Dash, for the most part, they were fine. They kind of played the roles that they were meant to play. Uh, Elastigirl was kind of taken out of the picture of the family to kind of lead into what was the mysterious subplot of who is this um, screen slaver that's trying to uh, take over the world and just like enslave superheroes for the most part. Um, it weirded me out when we saw Winston because I hear Bob Odenkirk's voice and Winston was exactly an animated Bob Odenkirk. So all I could see was Bob Odenkirk the whole time he was on there. I was just, I mean, it was, it was better call Saul the whole time while he was talking. Honestly, for like three seconds, I thought it was Sam Rockwell. Like, oh yeah, no, I had that same. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, and then three seconds later, I was like, oh no, no, I know that jackass. (laughs) (laughs) I think they, uh, also did a good job of like introducing some, uh, characters that have some newer powers like Boyd. It is amazing to see, uh, how she used her teleportation, uh, effects to, uh, full stop. I mean, it was even better than what they did with Blink and, uh, Days of Future Past. Uh, and I also liked uh, the Crusher. Uh, he just crushes things, but he doesn't know how to uncrush them. Just yeah, can you the uncrush someone? <laughs> <laughs> so they had some funny bits in there, and they use these side characters to great effect to make them happen as well. I did like how the characters they so that was a huge win for me is that we got to see other characters' powers. Like it didn't just revolve around the first family, um, but. I thought it was great how they went from like reasonable to irrational and silly, like the owl and then the belcher or no reflux was was like hilarious and stupid. (laughs) You know, it's like, all right, we got to make the crappiest, you know, superhero ever. So we're going to make one dude an owl and one dude have acid reflux. Um, But on the other hand, like you could see someone like void showing up in like a Marvel or DC film. You know, uh, you could basically like portal the game, the superhero. Right, right. I liked (laughs) how they had the momentum thing going where like if you were dropping with significant force down, you would come out with 
Like that was really cool. And 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 like you said, the crusher. And then um who was the, the other big guy. one? The electric guy was was Rick. really cool. Um, big brick guy. Like those were the more practical superheroes. Uh-huh. And I'm glad we weren't just presented with a bunch of idiots. Uh, and and also on the flip side, I'm glad that the they kind of kept only a couple practical superheroes on that team, and then it seemed like all the rest of them were uh, the like emissary dignitary guardians, and we didn't get to see them much. But it was cool to see like, all right, they exist. Uh, just we're not going to pay any attention to them because their powers we've seen a million times. You know, probably some of them can fly and jump over buildings and. I'm Batman, you know, whatever, who cares? Um, But we got to see some, like, kind of fun new, you know, Kevin Feige Phase 2 type superheroes, if you will. Yeah, I would say, like, the only character that I thought it was just too obvious and just really didn't buy as the villain was Evelyn. Um, Like, from the get-go, as soon as I saw her, I was like, all right, you're going to be the bad guy in this movie. I know it. Uh, your hair's messed up. You have a nasty attitude towards your brother a little bit, even though you say you're on his side. You're kind of being reluctant about making all these gadgets. Oh, you make all these gadgets, and look at that. The um, the uh, screen slaver uses gadgets to actually enslave yeah. people. Uh, I can put two and two together pretty easily. So I felt that uh, she was just too on the nose of a villain. For uh, the Incredibles, I wanted to see something a little bit more complex, kind of like what they had with Syndrome in the first film. Yeah, I can agree with that. As soon as she showed up, uh, basically she supplanted because she showed up and kind of like made her case as a character about midway through the movie. And I was like, oh, there's there's no way they introduce another person like it's 100 percent her. I thought for a brief second it was going to be your brother uh, just because Bob Odenkirk plays the slimiest of people just so <laughs> unbelievably well. Um, also, this is a small thing, but did anyone else realize she kind of looked like Gary from Team Police when he was on that bender? Go back and, and watch Team America <laughs> World Police. Oh, Team America? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so when he said Team Police. I was like, I don't oh, know what yeah, that yeah. is. I'm just going to smile and nod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Team America World Police. When he's on the bender, he, he looks ex- his puppet looks exactly like her. And the entire time, I thought it was so unbelievably hilarious. Uh, See, that yeah. was the thing with the, the, the design in this uh, – movie now that the graphics are so much more up to par like like brylan you were saying mr incredible's five o'clock shadow coming in that wasn't necessarily something you saw in the last movie like the weird uncanny valley thing that sort of happens you get this weird thunderbirds type thing where they almost look like marionettes because like their heads are really big and their hands and feet are kind of really big and like especially the women's proportions are kind of crazy sometimes but it's almost like how 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 much further can they push it for potential Incredibles three? Well, that's, I mean, that's the weird thing where like you're, I mean, Disney's able to digitally age down convincingly real people. And now they're able to animate things at such a degree that like you could fake other mediums, you know, like Kubo was like a digital composition plus some puppets uh, or stop motion. Uh, right, they did clay, I think. Um, but yeah. if you could start just digitally animating in that style, like you can do anything convincingly, you know. Incredibles three would be filmed completely in augmented reality. <laughs> yes, and you have to it'll wear be, a VR headset. <laughs> it'll be like when Homer Simpson visited the real Earth. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> no, the, the one scene that comes to mind in particular, too, is when uh, it's finally revealed that What's-Her-Face is the, actually the bad guy, and she has Elastigirl there, and she's kind of monologuing and giving her, like, the, oh, well, this is how I did it. Her whole body just kind of, like, you can tell they probably did, like, a fair amount of mocap for that conversation because she's sort of pacing and she's gesturing a lot and she's kind of really got this aggressive posture and it's like, oh, damn, like, that's just, like, a person. Like, it looks like a cartoon, but that's a person. And for me, that was, like, really cool because she was kind of really threatening. It wasn't, like, a huge surprise. Like, we all sort of knew it was coming. But then, like, once she sort of has that personality shift, you're like, oh, damn, like, okay, you're pretty serious now. But... I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting because you wouldn't have gotten that kind of movement. I feel like fourteen years ago. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I would add is um, Violet's uh, love interest. I just love his name and just proof of a preteen he is. His name's Tody Reidinger, which is like the perfect name for that type of kid too. <laughs> interesting. So I guess I'll say this: uh, my one little piece on the characters. Um, I was a huge fan of how they flipped the nuclear family, uh, on its head for this movie. Um, you know, they, they really made, and this, I think this is pretty prevalent in society today where, um, you know, the, the wife was the breadwinner and, you know, the man was the stay at home dad. Um, again, and I think that's that we're finally breaking through that. Like, it doesn't have to be the, the dude that goes to, you know, a nine to five insurance salesman type job and mom stays home with the kids and cooks dinner. And, you know, let's everyone smokes 14 packs of cigarettes a day. Um, you know, we're, we're breaking through those bounds. Uh, and I thought it was a very interesting take on how I think the best way to bring the light issues that certain people are having on a on a like a a certain situation is to flip it on its head where women might have felt trapped on how they had to cook dinner and um you know keep care of uh, like 16 kids and like all the kids are doing these wild and crazy things like like the point of the superhero films isn't necessarily the powers that they have it's how they interact with them and how they're basically fantastical views of real people um and so you have like violet being depressed over boys and dash being like this insane add kid that just can't stay stay focused and and then jack being a baby so who the hell knows what's going on there you know um and so you know if you see a mom in a film taking care of that you almost don't pay attention to that because it's it's almost a societal expectation um whereas if you see Oh, like a, a male figure start to fulfill that role. You start to bring to light like, oh, my God, that's way tougher. Uh, and on the flip side, too, I'd say, you know, like the traditional view on on dad for that time era, the, the 1960s, is that like they go to work from nine to five and then they come home and then they go work again for another four or five hours trying to like make ends meet and put in that overtime and make that big sale so that they can afford you know, dinner for the next month. And and that too is also a lot of pressure. And and luckily we're at a time when that's slightly evening off and everyone's broke. So both, both genders have to work, you know, and take care of the kids. There's no one that can just purely stay at home. Um, but it brings to light the, 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 the pressures that are put on both parent figures and then the kids and how they react to, you know, mom not being home, uh, how they might react to like dad not being home. Um, I thought that was awesome to see. And they, they really played it out with a lot of maturity. 
which for again for a movie made geared towards kids to handle that with such a plum was definitely to be applauded. Well, there's so. that great moment too where they're in bed talking about you know the pitch that they received and if if they should do it or like how's it gonna go and like Mr. Incredible's like oh yeah I can take care of the kids no problem and uh, Elastigirl's just like oh yeah you're adorable that's adorable and then like the next scene is I believe he's like holding Jack Jack and they're saying goodbye and then Jack Jack just loads his diaper <laughs> and like that's just the moment where like Mr. Incredible's just like oh shit <laughs> like what did I sign up for like literally <laughs> yeah well it showed it it basically it brings to light the pressures that everyone faces in any sort of family situation. Um, trying to put food on the table, trying to make sure the kids all get to school unhurt and on time. Family is a loaded diaper, like Fam- a ticking time bomb. <laughs> yeah, I would just say uh, like uh, to add to that, I mean, I that's kind of where I think they needed to just double down on it and add more about that like dad trying to raise the kids while the mom is out working uh because i think they missed a lot of uh good marks to actually make it a more have more depth with that type of a social story that you can actually tell where you have mr incredible yeah he's shocked for about five seconds about not being selected by winston to be the new uh superhero to get make superheroes legal but uh I mean, it doesn't take long for him to say, all right, I'm just going to accept this. And yeah, we see him get tired. We see him get a little frustrated, but he never has like a breaking point or anything. He willfully throughout his tiredness and everything just accepts that. Yeah, I'm your dad and I'm a good person. I'm going to find a way he does make mistakes. And then he cleanly finds a way to correct those mistakes throughout the movie. So I think they played a little too safe when it came to that. I don't know. He did have a couple of moments, though, like the one part where he's talking with Violet and he says something akin to like, uh, you know, I don't want to be a bad dad. And she has the line like, no, you're super. Yeah. Um, Or he does have a moment where he does snap at the kids and he does have that like Jack Nicholson face at one point where he's got the bags under his eyes and the full five o'clock shadow. And like you can tell he, he mentions that he hasn't slept in like three days. I think that's when like Frozone comes in. And he's like about to take the baby to Edna Mode's house. And he's just like, he looks like he's on death's door from dealing with these crazy kids. And it's like, okay, like, I feel you. But um, yeah, no, I agree. I think they could have like pushed the the saccharine sweet family, like, you know, stick together tiveness. I feel like it was heavier handed in the original movie. Hmm. All right. Uh, I guess let's talk about uh, the plot you know, kind of go through and, and, and also expand on some of the major themes presented um, in that. Uh, Brian, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, the big thing with this plot, it's definitely fun. It's definitely set up to be a great comic book film, uh, but it's very superficial. It hits all its beats and then it leaves. It's not here to tell like a deep message or anything. You do have this uh, plot with Mr. Incredible being a stay-at-home dad. And I think it will have been a cooler move if we saw more of his journey as a stay-at-home dad and like kind of dive into that a little bit more about who are the real heroes in the world. And so it might have undermined, ha, huh? it might have undermined <laughs> the uh, the like superhero-ness of it, but it would have been like really cool to see, hey, Mr. Incredible can also be incredible just by being a dad. And I thought that would have been really cool to do. 
Um, I find that some of the other side plots were just kind of um, just a little messy and just really didn't really capture, like, get me invested. Like, I thought Violet's uh, preteen crush was... Uh, it had some funny moments. I liked how the detective like just wiped his brain and that's why she's going crazy and it really pisses her off. So we get to see some real teenage emotion from her. Uh, but I wasn't really bought into it all the way. Um, but I think seeing Jack-Jack grow and seeing his powers come to be is amazing. One of the best scenes of this movie is Jack-Jack versus a raccoon. And that is just nothing but like 10 minutes of one of the most amazing superhero fights you'll ever see. Better than Batman versus Superman, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Brian Wolf and you for that comment. Batman <laughs> versus Superman is the greatest film ever made. Yeah, Brian, I'll, I'll agree with you on this. I think at times this movie somewhat did su- uh, suffer for from uh, no main character syndrome, if you will, um, where you sometimes get... And that's where it gets hard with an ensemble like peace where you have to ha- make sure every character gets some growth, but pick someone and stick with them. Um, personally, you know, the, the movie that I think was a little bit better than Batman versus Superman, please don't kill me for that opinion uh, for civil war where every character moves forward, uh, but is still distinctly as Steve Robert Rogers film. I think they tried. I mean, they had, they had, I thought they did a great job balancing between uh, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible um, and how, you know, Mr. Incredible's uh, journey through parenthood and Mrs. Incredible's journey through being like the breadwinner from the family. I thought that they echoed each other fantastically. Um, that being said, when you had Violet come in and she now has almost a full arc with the boyfriend and like the teenage angst thing. And then you start throwing in Jack, Jack, and he's the one that goes to Edna. And, you know, it's all about figuring out Jack, Jack's powers, uh, and what he can and apparently cannot do. You know, he's pretty much invincible in that regard. Um, you suffered from a little bit of, of like character diffusion, uh, almost on like, who am I really supposed to be feeling for? Um, at least they didn't put uh, Mr. Dash uh, front and center as well. Uh, I like how they kept him kind of tucked back. Um, it brought at least the other three forward, but could have lose a little bit more sharpening there. Yeah, yeah no, I-, I mean, Dash was made to be, like you said, an ADD child, so he literally doesn't know which way to go. And I think that was kind of like the pun intended for his character. I feel like Brad Bird kind of wrote dash how he would write bart simpson like he was kind of the comedic relief but he wasn't going to be the mainstay um Mm. so like i felt that he was kind of on the periphery kind of running around in the corner of everyone's eyes and he just had like every once in a while he'd stop and have like a quip or a one-liner and then he'd just keep going do something else um but no i agree to your point blue at the part where it's almost the polar opposite of it's the same thing in the first movie when Mr. Incredible gets recruited to this clandestine organization to start doing these like he gets taken to an island and he's doing these missions where he's fighting robots and he's he gets to superhero again and he loves it and then in this movie it's Elastigirl and she's almost it's less clandestine but she gets to do all these like missions and like work for the the betterment of mankind and do her superhero work and it's kind of cool to see them expand on the character in that way because we never really got to see her really let loose in the first movie which is kind of cool to see her do it in this one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, 
Oh, is that? Go ahead, Brown. All right. Uh, yeah, just another thing I wanted to add, like um, the screen slaver. I mean, was just such a cookie color cutter villain. Um, it's just like this is a high tech villain that uses high tech gadgetry to get their things accomplished, uh, and they're um, they're enslaving people by television screens and monitors and uh, vehicles and stuff like that, which you could have actually taken a lot further, like some type of a allusion to like current, like people sticking to social media all the time and just being with their heads into their phones and like, kind of maybe it'd been cooler if they actually started it with um, the screen slaver enslaving people just by showing like the ads of like Winston's corporation and stuff. And you don't really see like the, the generic villain static come through and that's the thing that's brainwashing you brainwashing you by the things that are positive and then like bring out the villain after that i think that if they did that with the companies they would have made it unbelievably obvious on who the villain was uh because going back to what i originally said i would have loved it if they did make it seem like uh winston was the main villain and then switched it because there was basically no it was like you didn't know who the villain was and then they came out um yeah there's no misdirection yeah there was no misdirection whatsoever and if you were quick on it pretty you could figure it out immediately because there was nothing that would say otherwise um i i liked it i think that you know you don't have to necessarily say fake news to understand that that's what they're trying to get kind of like with bow the the metaphor was ham-fisted in there but it worked for me where like all day i see people that are like just jammed with their phones up their eyeballs you know they're pretty much just going lcd to to ret uh, optic nerve you know at this point like there's no there's no in between whatsoever um and so I think that it's it was a nice like they uh, speaking of things they could have doubled down on they could have they could have uh, like made it somehow that like you had to unplug like I think it was kind of cool that fight in the cage with all the screens around it um, that she like very obviously had her eyes closed um, and she was fighting blind and I I think they could have made that more apparent um, that you basically had to disconnect uh, to be able to fight this thing I I wish they went down and like they almost could have introduced a bunch of gadgets like the the bike and then had her have to give all of that up. She was obviously super excited to have that bike back in her life. Um, and then to have to give that up to be able to fight like this technological terror, if you will, um, would have been a nice little arc and a nice little like, hey, maybe we should put the, the, the phone, the computer down. Uh, you know, I say this as I'm staring at my phone and talking to you over a computer, like, but it's, it's true. It's like, it's like this stuff is so much in our faces every single day and every single facet of how we live. Um, sometimes you just gotta like go read a book or go for a walk and like sniff nature, which is something I haven't done in like six years. <laughs> it, like it, but it's, you know, it's, it's true. And I, th- I think that it was a really poignant, something that they could not have done 14 years ago. You know, there wasn't anything such as there was no iPhone 14 years ago. Um, and I thought it really worked for for today. They, I wanted more of it. She did blow up the bike, though. I was surprised how quick the bike ate it. Yeah. And yeah, I read a book on my scene. phone today. That doesn't count. 
sorry. You still, you still you get read a phone book. <laughs> but no, that fight, that fight between Elastigirl and the fake screen slaver, the pizza guy, that was actually pretty down and dirty. That was almost like a Netflix, like Marvel, like hallway fight. Cause like she, she got in the face pretty hard a few times and then she had to like punch him to like try to knock out his goggles. And then he was trying to like hypnotize her. And just the whole idea of like, them hypnotizing these people is kind of creepy in general, but that fight was pretty hardcore for a kid's movie. But again, it it works on a a subtext that like, we don't necessarily, you would never say like, Oh, I I was scrolling down Instagram and all of a sudden someone's post had a spinning clock. And I I think that, I think that birds are, you know, lizard people rule the the universe now, you know, like the, it's not, it's never that obvious. And so I think for a good, a good social commentary, you almost have to take it over the top. Uh, so like, we don't realize it, but, but you know, like a lot of social media and like websites that we frequent are oftentimes echo chambers and what we want to hear. And then as soon as an echo builds up, it starts to really create its own voice. And all of a sudden you're now parroting someone else's opinion because you've heard it 14,000 times. Um, and you don't actually have the free will to decide on your own opinion. And I'm guilty as this as ever. I go to my own select websites and I know that I believe pretty much what they say. Cause I aggregate from there. Um, Pornhub.com. No, I'm more of a red tube person. <laughs> I, I tried to go to YouTube red and I, I mistyped it and you know, just my for your world. Yeah. For your mind. 37 years later. And I, you know, I'm in a better place. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what you're I, I saying like is everybody should watch They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. I would say go watch the pay per view match with Ronda Rousey. That too. I mean, Close double enough. feature. Close yeah. enough. Um, yeah. yeah, I would just say like um, Brad Bird. He wrote the Iron Giant. He wrote the first Incredibles, and those are very deep, well thought out plots. And I feel like it was just. This plot was just kind of lazy compared to his previous works. I don't know if he had to do a rush job or something, but for 14 years of work, I mean, I don't know if he worked every day 14 years on this, but um, it, you would expect more from Brad Bird at this point. You, I can agree with you on that. They should have at least put a misdirection on it. Like The fact that you could pretty much call who the villain of the film was in the first 20 minutes was kind of inexcusable. Well, she shows up late to that meeting and you're like, who shows up late to anything? This woman is terrible. I've never been late at all. I know. Nobody is. Nope. Not, e- evil, not evil even villains. to this podcast. Never been late to this podcast. <laughs> all right. And so I think we've, I think we've covered a lot about the, you know, the different aspects of this film. Um, I'd love to move into our uh, final conclusions on this. Uh, Abbott, why, why don't you start? Yeah, I would. Um, my conclusion is it's a great film. Um, I think, you know, again, 14 years, it really feels like they put the love and the, the work into it. There are a few things that could have been better, obviously, um, but it's enjoyable. I definitely <laughs> recommend. I'm not usually the kind of person to see a movie before I go to see the sequel. Like, I don't even do that with Marvel movies. I kind of just go in, whatever. Um, this movie, because it is a direct continuation, it literally picks up right where the first one ends i would say make sure to see the first one and refresh yourself before going into this one 
Um, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, but it really kind of feels like one whole movie if you do it that way. Um, so definitely go check it out. Uh, bring some kids if you have access to children. <laughs> nope, that part's getting cut. Um, go and meet some children at the theater. Um, and have a good time with those children at the theater. All right, Brian, before we get arrested, go. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a very fun and beautiful Pixar film. It probably falls kind of mid-range in the Pixar pantheon. Um, it just uh, can't hold up to what the first Incredibles did. And it uh, just doesn't really bring any depth to its story. Like, And you don't take anything away except for, hey, I had a fun time at the movie theaters that... Movies like Ratatouille and Monsters, Inc. definitely elevate that a lot more. And I also wonder that is Pixar and Disney, are they hurting their films by putting these amazing shorts in front of them? Because these shorts are, I mean, I find mind-blowing and amazing. And they do a lot of the best storytelling we've seen out of these studios. And then we're getting these movies that feel either very ham-fisted or very bloated. Uh, when they're trying to push their point. I'm going to say no, but because I think it, I think you'll never advertise the short. And I think the shorts. You would never remember the short if they weren't brilliant. And I think it's a great track record that they do have these brilliant shorts in front of it. Like, I don't, I don't think that it necessarily bows overshadowing the Incredibles two. Um, that being said, if you're going to be the only company that puts a short in front of your movie, it better damn well be good. And so far, they haven't, you know, they haven't messed that up except for Frozen. I literally just contradicted myself. They messed up with Frozen. All right. As far as uh, I'm concerned, I thought it was good, clean fun. Um, it worked for the entire family, um, as most of these movies do. Uh, I will say that I did give points off because it didn't make me cry. And I feel like that's why you go to a Pixar film is to like feel terrible about something in your life um, or feel really good about something and you're crying either way. Um, I, I thought this was the Fantastic Four film that we never got, uh, you know, to get to see like the full family dynamic and all these wild powers. It just it, it just come home to Marvel, please let Ky Kevin Feige like just. Let him do his thing and give us an actual family movie live action that we deserve to get. Uh, one last thing that we did not touch upon that I, I don't think went with either one of these things. Michael Giancchino, that was an amazing score. Like that was. Oh, it, yes. It hurt, as I've, I've said this a million times, uh, you know, as being like the quote unquote music guy. Uh, I don't really notice scores unless they really stick out in some way. And this one did for not being like a groundbreaking, like uh, like Annihilation was something that was completely different and not like a traditional score. Uh, this didn't really necessarily break instrumentation or harmonic bounds, but was freaking awesome. And it perfectly grounded you in that uh, Nuevo 60s uh, feel that the Fantastic, uh, the Incredibles, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> the the uh, the Incredibles was going for. Um Dude, he killed it. Did you stay for the end credits? That's what I was going to say. They have all the theme songs. The theme it's songs great. for all the heroes. They were amazing. I like stayed for jingles. about I stayed for about half of it. Uh, Caroline was 
mighty tired uh and i looked gotcha. up and there was no like end credit scene so i'm gonna look it up though and i'm gonna actually gonna go uh this is pretty rare for me but i'm gonna probably listen to that that uh soundtrack again and listen through it all yeah um, for a movie that doesn't have an end credit scene it has some of the best end credits like style wise and then those theme songs are fantastic the 3d imaging on it was incredible where they they had like the slanted pictures so i saw it in 3d and like i I remember taking my glasses off and it kind of looked all right it looked like a cheap like pixar type banner that you could do from 1997 but if you put the glasses on and actually did the depth effect it kind of looked cool it looked like you were actually reading a book that kind of slanted out you know as everyone on the podcast can see how my my hands are pantomiming right now (laughs) um but yeah uh the score like again Compare that to his last movie, what would that have been? Um, Ooh. Bat Potter Man? The Ten Commandments? Star uh, Trek. Ben Hur? Yeah, compared to it, a traditional orchestral score that I know that I know he's done, film composers blow my mind for this, and this is a quick soapbox. These guys, so like, if you listen to a rock dude who just, like, plays rock music every single time, and it does the ACDC thing, where it's, like, basically, like, oh, here's a guitar riff for six albums. Like, these film composers come in and they're like, oh, yeah, dude, a 1960s, like, theme done, fine. The next movie's like, all right, write an orchestral score for the year 1700,000. Done. You know, like, it's 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 amazing to watch these people switch genres and, and uh, like, orchestras, you know, on the, the flip of a dime. Um, and Soapbox. Also, did you guys notice during the credits, if you stayed long enough, they had a credit for production babies, and it was all the babies that were born while the movie was being made, and they were, like, t- almost 20. I guess that's, you know, 14 years worth of Boinkin, so. Kind of surprised it's not more. It might have been more. I didn't really get to count, but it was a lot of baby names. Hmm. It's probably yeah, I, l- I like on the like. credits of uh, Bow. It was called Production Bows. Let's <laughs> pop out a Bow. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we've been the Down and Firm Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this incredible review of Incredibles 2 um, I guess let's let's go around the horn one last time and say goodbye say uh, where we could you know people can stalk us in our day-to-day lives uh, Abbott why don't you go first sure no thanks for having me tonight um, I feel so fresh and so clean fresh out of the theater given my opinion on this movie um, uh, other people who are familiar with me on the other podcast uh, Fear Boners where we discuss horror movies we just recently released uh, our episode discussing Hereditary which is out there right now um, and you can either contact us directly at fearboners D-I-F-P at gmail.com or we're also tweeting all the time at fearboners D-I-F-P on Twitter and we keep updating there as well so we put a lot of fun stuff and posts and uh, creepy gifts and stuff like that up there Alright, Mr. Mouth from the South. Yeah, you can find me fighting an army of raccoons on Twitter at Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Also, from time to time, we'll post many movie reviews on Instagram at I am Bryland. And very soon, the games cast will be coming back. It's at twitch.tv slash downinfrontpodcast. Sweet. And I am the Shredder, your host for tonight. Uh, you could find us at downfrontpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to, you can reach out to us 
at our email, um, downfrontpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on YouTube for our short form like video reviews, the teasers. Uh, you can tweet us at, at underscore DIFP. And then definitely please check us out on Patreon. Um, ton of different little rewards and uh, perks for being a patron. Um, help us get that Arizona iced tea, if you will. Uh, as for me, I'd love to plug one specific thing. And s- this week, it's not my news. I'm not plugging my news. Uh, but I'd love to plug our SoundCloud, uh, where I write our variations on a theme, if you will, for our, our theme song. Um, probably not going to be one for this one, uh, although there should. Uh, I'm just not that great of a jazz arranger. So, you know, laziness. Uh, and don't want to, you know, expose how much of a hack I am. Uh, as for our other email, you could definitely email us at jessyranfillshisdiaper dot uh, at one six three dot com. Uh, again, that's jessyranfillshisdiaper at one six three dot com. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've been great. We've been the Downfront Podcast. Bye bye. <laughs>